Hi, welcome to On Leading. I am Shauna Steffen, talking with Sister Simone today. Sister Simone Campbell is a seemingly tireless champion for the well-being of all citizens through public policy. She promotes the welfare of the poor, both nationally and internationally, earning her the Franklin D. Roosevelt Four Freedoms Award and the Defender of Democracy Award. Sister Simone's path has led to some big surprises for a nun, like being a guest on 60 Minutes, The Colbert Report, The Daily Show, and The O'Reilly Factor. She is a hoot and a bit of a rebel, becoming a woman of remarkable influence. Known for her nuns on the bus tours, inspiring citizen engagement and hope, Sister Simone bridges divides by giving voice to a vision that serves the 100%. In this interview, she offers new insight into the restorative leadership practice of valuing and empowering community. My first question for you, Sister Simone, is that you speak about the joy of our times. And I wonder, what brings you joy? Oh, good question. I um, I think that meeting the amazing people that I am privileged to encounter on practically a daily basis is joy and hope for me. Because there's so many good folk doing amazing things in their families, in their communities, and asking probing questions that just give me life. Mm. When you think of all that you believe is possible for our world, what do you envision or dream? Well, a big part of what I dream of is a world where there is not the huge income and wealth disparity that we currently have in our nation that I think is tearing our nation and our world apart and that uh, all are seen as contributing to our society and benefiting from our society. The great opportunity that we have right now to make it different. It's going to take all of us being actors in this. And too often, I think we want to, or the temptation is, is to set up a them and us reality. And that sucks the life out of all of us. Mm. And so what I've been working on is this whole idea that it, that what we are called to is a, Um, reality that benefits the 100%, where Mm. everyone is involved and everyone benefits. And I think it's doable. Thank you for that. (laughs) So most of your professional life from attorney to nun has served human rights in some way. What do you see as the relationship between human rights and sustainability? Hmm. Well, maybe I should ask, how are you thinking of sustainability? Because, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I guess I could say my definition is about creating structures and uh, forms that can continue beyond this generation and are helpful for people in the planet. Is that how you're thinking of it? That's great. Yes, speaking from that definition, 
Um, is there anything you'd like to say about what you see as the relationship between human rights and that? Well, in order to have a society and a, a planet that survives, the short, the short answer is we cannot have civil rights on an ongoing basis unless we have sustainability. Here's one of the troubles in our society right now is that uh, folks in, who are struggling mightily economically are being pushed out of the uh, process of, of democracy. Mm. We did this big bus trip in the fall trying to get people to turn out to vote, and uh, I was doing door knocking in Colorado Springs, and, and this guy answers the door, tall, good-looking African-American guy in late 20s, early 30s, I'd say, and he tells me he's a disabled vet, and but he's getting good service from the VA, and he was really grateful for that. Mm. And then we talked some more you know, about his situation and all this. And then I asked him, are you going to vote? And he says, nah, I'm not going to do it. Well, why? He said, they don't want my opinion. They don't want to know what I think. Of course, I said, well, I want to know. <laughs> you know, um, but but the the fact is economics and our attitude are pushing people out of our democracy. Mm. And then recently there was a study that said uh, low-income people are more and more disenfranchised because how impossible it is to vote. That gets discouraging to people. I met this one woman, we were in Detroit, and uh, at a town hall, and um, we call them town halls for the 100%, and she was the last person to comment, and I so admired her courage because we were talking about what makes it difficult to vote. This is in a low-income community. And she says, well, for some of us who don't have much schooling, it's hard to know who to trust to help you read a ballot. Mm. And I, oh, my gosh, things I had never thought of. And I so admired her courage for saying it. Those at the top, those in the government class, which we're developing, are not aware of the reality of so many people in our nation. That lack of awareness means that they're being left out. Mm. And if you leave people out, then you don't have democracy. Mm. You mentioned earlier the risk of, in essence, othering. I'm wondering, what do you think it's going to take to bring out the best of our diverse humanity to ensure a sustainable future? Oh, Gloria, I don't know. I keep trying stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I re what, what I say is, is that the key is to let our hearts be broken by each other, to hear enough of each other's story that we know the truth of the struggles. And if my heart is broken open, then I have room for everybody. But I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's a long, slow process at the rate of mm -hmm. going. So. 
Why did you say that, speaking to the heart? What do you do with the heartbreak, the anger, the despair that arises during this work? Oh, see, that, that, that's really an important distinction because if your heart's broken, I just find myself stepping towards the person. It's only when I think I have some responsibility to control or that I'm in charge mm-hmm. that the frustration rises. Mm-hmm. As long as I know we're in this together and I just have to do my part, then I'm not – I don't find it discouraging. I find it life-giving because it's community that we're hungry for, and that's – to be together in this. It's the effort at control that's exhausting. This is so great. You're inspiring me to think about two different questions I have. So the one is related to um, my observation that so many are withdrawing and disengaging because of overwhelming sense of fear at this time, this 21st oh, century is a very unique time in human history. Here's the thing for me. Okay, I'm a Catholic sister. So for me, I live in faith, and my experience is over and over that all things work to the good, even stuff that I don't like. That I'm not the measure of what's good. So in that context, I don't... Um, I don't worry so much about it. So I guess my my support for people who do, it's more about being community and being engaged. I, I think we, we lose hope when we're not connected to community. Uh, hope is a communal virtue. And so if somebody's lost hope, then my question to them is, who are you connected with? Who do, who do you weep with? And my experience is over and over, if I do it with somebody else, hmm. That creates hope. Thank you. I know you also talk about the threats of poverty of individualism and loneliness. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you would like to add about what that means when you're talking about it? Well, when you see what's happening um, nationally with the shift of wealth to the top and the stagnant wages and the fact that the lowest income quintile 20% in our in our nation over the last 34 years now their income has gone down 14% from what it was in 1980 I mean it's gone down but the top 1% has gone up over 250%. And we all know that a small percentage of a small number isn't that big, but that 250% of a big number is huge. And the consequence of this is that it puts those at the economic top out of touch with the reality of our nation. And that, by definition, Congress is in the top 5% because that's how much they're paid. 
And so they end up disconnected from the reality of mm-hmm. folks who struggle. And without that awareness of reality, it's very easy to make judgment. And that cripples a democracy when you cannot hear the voice of everyone. Mm. Uh, On the bus I was reading about, I got worried about democracies, and so I started reading about what happened in ancient Athens, you know? And what I read was fairly chilling, but democracy lasted about 200 years in Athens as a robust reality. And then the rich families started fighting with each other and looking for special preference. And that started the demise of the Athenian experiment of democracy and resulted eventually in the Macedonians being able to come in and take them over. I don't want to say anything, but there's some strong parallels to what we're living through. So we better wake up. Yes, yes. I have a sense of what your response to this next question would be in terms of that wake up, but if you could change one thing in the world with a snap of your fingers, what would that be and why? Well, uh, I mean, you gave me a hint with the wake up, but I mean, I think it's a great idea. Um, I, I probably... would want us to be able to hear each other's stories without Mm. judgment Mm. and then to have the conversation of how do we move forward together. I sure look forward to that. (laughs) I know. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, too often I just say, oh, I want to vote him off the island. Yeah. So, Sister Simone, you have described your spiritual journey as a contemplative life of walking willing. What does it mean to walk willing, and where have you been most surprised that it has taken you? <laughs> uh, well, to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my experience is, is that we are all connected. We are one body, and so... I just try to do my part. And in uh, the Christian scriptures in St. Paul, he says, you know, one one body, some people are hands, some are ears, some are eyes, and you can't all be the same thing. Well, one day I was pondering, what's my part in the body of Christ? And so I I sort of came up with the idea that maybe I'm stomach acid in the body of Christ. (laughs) I'm really, really important for metabolizing food. I'm essential for energy and action. But you get too much of me uncontained. I can be really a problem. So um, it, it, that's sort of how I, I think of myself. And the willing part is just be, being uh, not resisting, being drawn to new places and to be to be who I am wherever it's needed. And the surprise, I mean, my whole life is a, one continuous surprise, so... I mean, I joke and say, you know, lead a quiet life, join the convent. And um, who could ever believe this, you know, that I could be at the Carter Center or, you know, uh, speak at a Democratic convention or, uh, I mean, but all of it is, is connected to this willingness to live my part of the view of the gospel wherever. Thank you. 
In your opinion, what is leadership? Leadership is that uh, capacity to connect enough with people and help the group move together. Um, Because leaders can't lead by themselves because then that becomes ego and it's resisted. But leaders are folks who uh, can engage the group, free the best ideas, allow creativity Mm -hmm. to emerge, and then let everybody do their part. At least that's how kind of I try to do it. Mm. And in your opinion, what is distinct or unique about the leadership that's needed at this time in our planet's history? Oh, well, it's an extension of that. It's we have got to get better at collaboration and Mm. cooperation Mm. um, where the dignity of each person and each civilization, each faction is uh, acknowledged and more than acknowledged is included in the uh, plans for moving forward. And that style of leadership then requires everybody has a chance to tell their story, but also in that process then it becomes clear what people can contribute to making change. I'm saying Sister Simone for president. (laughs) (laughs) So with the recent World Council of Churches divestment from fossil fuel investments... I wonder your thoughts on the role that church leadership should take around matters of climate change. The role of faith leadership is to lift up the troubling issues of our time and to um, be a moral voice in a context where people would rather put their heads in the sand or continue the convenient path. And Faith leadership should not be about the convenient path. It should be about the witness to the needs of the time. So I think that taking action, uh, speaking about it, making a joyful noise periodically is required to do that kind of work. Mm, Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I got to hear you say that you find your texts mandating the use of your voice. And I'm wondering what you think it was about how you used your voice with the nun's letter that had such significant influence on passing the Historic Affordable Care Act. Oh, that was straight politics. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wrote the nun's letter... um, just to support the Catholic Health Association, because Sister Carol Keenan had come out in favor of the Affordable Care Act at CHA. And my prayer was, how do we support that and stand up with them? For me, it was about doing our, continuing to do our work and fill our mission and being faithful to the Spirit's call to, to be supportive of healthcare for all in our in the richest nation on earth. And so uh, for me, it was by being faithful to mission, doing something that we do a lot, which are sign-on letters. 
And in that fidelity, well, there was a bit of lightning. And then the straight politics is that 29 Catholic Democrats had the cover of our letter to be able to vote for the Affordable Care Act, which something most of them wanted to do. But with the bishops saying that it uh, was the wrong way forward, it was immoral, and all the other things they were saying, they were having a hard time justifying it. Mm -hmm. So it freed up many to be able to vote for it. So your influence had a liberating impact. Yeah, yeah, I guess it did. Mm. Yeah, that their fear of being trapped, and and some of them, there are a bunch of folks who lost their seats because of the health care vote in the 2010 election. There's a whole bunch of folks that paid a big price for it, but they valiantly paid that price because it was the best for our nation. What has your journey taught that you'd like others to benefit from knowing? Oh, everybody has a gift to share, and we need everyone's gifts. Hmm. Sometimes people in their insecurity can insist that you exercise my gift, that we do it the same. Hmm. That's, that's the insecurity. We've got to get over our insecurity about this. Hmm. We've all got gifts to be shared. Trust yours. Do it. So my prayer is always, use me. Speaking of doing, what do those working for global sustainability and collective well-being need in order to succeed? Contemplative, reflective time. Too often, I think we activist types lose that time of reflection and um, space. We're deeper, the creative, or the creative bubbles up, at least in my experience. May you hear what you need. Thank you so much for joining this conversation on leading with Sister Simone Campbell. I am Shauna Steffen, and I hope that you will join us to learn more about restorative leadership in action by subscribing to On Leading on iTunes and joining us on social media through restorativeleadership.org. To support the work of Nuns on the Bus and a Vision for the 100%, please go to networklobby.org.